0: On this Out of Play Area episode, you'll listen to a fellow Full Sail University game development alum and dear friend Douglas Burton. Doug's worn many hats in game development where he's danced the full spectrum between game design and coding to refine his specialty as a puzzle designer. I got to work with Doug at Midway Austin back on our first ship title, Blackside Area 51. Since then, he's gone on to work for studios all throughout the United States and across the pond in Scotland. Listen in as Doug opens up about finding the right college to achieve his goals, on to developing console games, working in mobile, meeting Steven Spielberg himself, and hear his perspective on the importance of studio culture and equitable hiring practices. Welcome game designer at PolyArch in Seattle, Detroit's own Doug Burton. Bienvenido, bienvenue. Welcome to the Out of Play Area podcast, a show by video game devs for game devs where the guests open up one-on-one about their journey,
1: their experiences, their views, and their ideas. No ads, no bullshit. Join us as we venture far out of the play area with your host, seasoned game
0: designer, John Diaz. I think you and I have had this conversation before where they're like get someone to play a game developer and Mm -hmm. then they're like all right guys do your job and then they're like mashing the controller furiously or something (laughs) yeah right like like that's what
1: we actually do at work i always see that that always that's one of those things where like if you see something in a movie that is like your job then you can you can tell how fake they make it look you always see that in movies where someone's playing a video game and you know they're pressing every button i like, you don't, you can't press that many buttons at once. Like, I don't know mm. what game they're playing that's going to even register all those button presses that fast. <laughs> that's
0: a great point, man. That's some, that's some, that's uh, amazing input
1: pipeline right there, too. And I, I got to mention one thing that always bugged me. And Charlie's Angels years ago with like Lucy Lou and, uh, Kevin Diaz, Diaz and Drew Barrymore. A, yeah. There's a scene where they fall in his room where his two kids playing. Uh, N64 controller and they're playing a Final Fantasy game and they're, pl- they're both playing at the same time. I'm like, first off, there's no Final Fantasy on N64 and none of them were multiplayer. So I was just like, for so many reasons, this whole scene is fake. But course, yes. in the theater, no one wants to hear that. But I'm like, this is so fake.
0: <laughs> <laughs> You're the only one standing up.
1: <laughs> exactly, exactly. That's how the scene's about. It's about Charlie's Angels. Not the games. Oh,
0: accuracy, man. I, I've always valued the Opportunity, or I've dreamt of the opportunity to be some type of game dev consultant on some project. Right? Like, hey, we yeah. need a professional. Come in here and tell us how
1: it should be done. See, that sounds like the real dream job. Like, just come in and give someone all your ideas about what game development should look like. So, what are you sipping on? Ooh, yeah. So, so I, I mentioned I was going to try and find a stout for today, and I was looking around and I found this one that was on limited release. Uh, at the store, so I decided I had to get, get me one. It was limit, limit one per person, so I was like, hey, we "Gotta get it." Damn! It is Evil Twin Brewing, and it's called "Some People Are Immune to Good Advice." Maple, be- maple bourbon barrel aged stout.
0: Yo, that those is are perfect. Yes, man. Yes, when when you told me you were gonna get a stout, I try to match my guests. I want to be on the same wavelength with them. Mm-hmm. So I went ahead and got me. Dragon's milk, bourbon mm-hmm. barrel-aged stout. Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. one's got vanilla. Anytime I see kind of vanilla or coffee, oh yeah, and bourbon, bourbon barrel, I, I like it. to check it out. Well, to that, sir. Cheers, salud.
1: Cheers to Sante. you, sir.
0: Hmm.
1: That's good. Oh yeah. That maple that barrel, that bourbon How's that barrel. That in Oh, it all comes through it's all great oh
0: yeah okay this is gonna be a great show <laughs> it's Gonna be a great show how how has the pandemic been treating you
1: um it's a i feel like home thing yeah it's I, I feel like my dream has been to work from home this easy mm-hmm. and i think a lot of people too but no one wanted it to happen like this sort of situation yeah. but I'm, I'm an introvert in me in me is very happy to uh be able to be at home so much, and I can roll out of bed half hour before our morning meetings, and doesn't matter if I'm still in my pajamas. So I love that part about it. But you know, I just moved to Seattle this year, so the downside is still haven't really seen the city. Not to do much. So professionally, work from home has been right up my alley. Uh, but socially, I'm like, oh man, I need to get out, do more stuff to get my mind off games, off work sometimes. So I miss that aspect.
0: Because you moved not too shortly before all this hit when did you get to seattle
1: yeah i got to seattle uh at this point about a year ago year and a couple months ago so it's
0: like you were in winter was it winter 2019 yeah yeah winter was just just getting started that's a great place to start let's start from where you when you got to seattle what what brought you to seattle because i really thought that there was no way you were ever gonna leave (laughs)
1: austin texas it, it kind of surprised me too, <laughs> but yeah, because yeah, I've been in Austin for like 12 years at that point, or at this point, and uh, I was working at Scientific Games doing uh, mobile gaming, mobile like slot machine games, basically, basically like, taking their Vegas slot machine games and taking the mobile version and doing uh, the UI and the gamification and the, all the mobile based text messaging notification push messages all that kind of extra mobile stuff making all their games work with that and that was like almost in my my mind I was like I can retire doing this because that was like easy game development like the, the slot games were already done the math for it all was already done by mathematicians who check it with the IRS I think and like it's all it's all federally checked out and all that so the games are like super tight and well done very non buggy, and I tried to do it with the UI wrapper on top of it and kind of make it fun and monetize. And I was like, This is a, this is doable, you know. After making uh, action y console games and worrying about performance, and uh, you know, you got to get it out on time and some tight deadlines, and just trying to make games bigger and bigger and bigger, it was nice to work on games that were kind of like. Already kind of set in their ways, and the audience for the game was super forgiving. So <laughs> most of our, our our target demographic was women above fifty, uh, and yeah, they just and like and, and gambling people just like colors and like lights and sounds, and so it was a, it was like a joy to make the game, but also kind of very easy game making, I would say.
0: You hit a lot on a lot of amazing things right there, Doug. I just want to take a, a step back right because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. a lot of people may not realize that the primary market for mobile games are women above 50 right like mm-hmm. my mom the one time i put a tablet in her hand right like hey mom i bought you this for christmas this is for us to facetime and keep in touch she's like oh can you put in like this slot game i was like yeah sure here you go downloaded it installed it and that was all
1: i would see yeah. her do they pick one game and yeah they're gonna to
0: it <laughs> She she would get she would get tight as well whenever the the paywalls came up right like hey you ran out of your daily allotment right hey but you can pay for more
1: <laughs> yeah that was and that was that was the market like yeah was, you, you get those one or two whales who are spending a grand every week at least a grand. and because like that's the only game they played so like, that was their version of going out that was their version of you know whatever their vice was so you know like, they might not spend money on alcohol or on Food or whatever. This game was that for them. For some people, you know? and, and some people were just really rich and just really like slot machine gaming on the go. I guess I, I, never, I can never, I can say I never totally understood it. Mm-hmm. Like I, I can appreciate the games; like they're pretty games, but you don't really, you can never get the money back out like you could in Vegas. So in Vegas, you get the whole light sounds. Well, if you win, you would get actual money back. Mm-hmm. With mobile games, you could win, and you wouldn't get any money back. You just got a higher bankroll play the game more so that part always surprised me
0: i love it too because like to your point that we have always worked on cutting edge state-of-the-art graphics and ux and ui and tight kind of rendering the console or the computer to its knees right Mm
1: -hmm. yeah yeah whereas
0: here you kind of got to work on something solid and push it in whatever direction knowing that it can take it right because the processing wasn't that that intense.
1: Yeah, and what was funny, I remember at one point, one of our big, like, big customers, she complained that her old tablet, the game was running slow on it. And she spent so much money, like, every week in this game that it was much more cost-effective to just buy her a new tablet. We literally just bought her a new tablet, put her game, put her, her information on it, copied our stuff for her, and then just mailed it to her. It's like, here you go. Thanks for being a great customer. Here's a new tablet. Just because, you know, she wasn't techy, like she just needed a screen that could play the game. But those old tablets just get older over time, you know, and so Ugh. that was the thing too. Yep. Yeah, so we had to make the game work for some, kind of a low bar quality of cell phones. So that kind of uh, kept the game. Simple art wise, and just made made it so it didn't get too complex. So, we got to worry about just making that game cool and fun and interesting without having to chase that like graphical fidelity, that sort of thing. So that was one nice nice break about it. Yeah,
0: I can imagine, right? Like uh typically we worry about a few different SKUs, right? Like Xbox, PlayStation, PC, maybe some Nintendo console of some sort. Yeah. Yeah. And even when you're PC, right, you gotta worry about a few different graphics cards, but you can just be like, Hey, this is the min one, you know, you need a ten eighty mm-hmm. Ti. Mm-hmm. But for mobile, that's a broad spectrum.
1: So many phones. Yep, yep, you got phone Different tablet. screen
0: sizes and resolutions.
1: Exactly, all that stuff. You have to do all kind of stuff to like, and then if they want to rotate the phone, what happens? If they put your app in the background, what happens? And then worrying about uh, issues with like push notifications. And then as the stores add new rules, like, you know, the Google Store, or Apple Store, they change their rules about stuff. You have to like up, keep up to date with that. That was always tough, too, because then things changed at one point. You used to be able to have like a demo of your game, and then the demo was free. And then you have a, a, a paid version that had like no ads or something like that. Uh-huh. And at cert- a certain point, they decided they, didn't want, they had too many games doing that. People were getting confused, so they, they made it that every game only could only have one version. But they didn't really stop anyone from keeping two versions. They would just occasionally be like, oh, you have two versions, you're denied updating the game. And it's like, wait, we weren't denied just two days ago. And they're like, oh, sorry, never mind, we we'll take it back. <laughs> yeah, it, it was like that all the time. Like They would deny you for something, you call them, yeah. be like, can I get to about this? And they like, oh, never mind, it, it, we will ignore it. It was just such case by case, person by person approval yeah. stuff yeah. Uh, that mobile gaming was kind of a wild, wow west in that, in that sense in a few ways too. Google and
0: Apple gotta earn their 30% pay cut, right? They gotta, they gotta certify, make sure everything is running smoothly. I imagine that Microsoft and Sony and Nintendo don't have to deal with the same volume that Google and Apple have to deal with.
1: Yeah, that's definitely true.
0: That's so interesting. But like mobile was not where you started, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, I I started off really doing console yeah but well midway where me and you met you know that was a console wasn't even a PC game I think I think the PC version came out later after, like, after consoles uh, yeah did the console I think for a while a lot of big action shoot up type games slowly moved to I guess what a, more and more casual type gaming so even like more casual consoles I made a few Wii games and then I never did any like mobile console games. I never hit that market. Or like 3ds. I never made like a 3ds game or a PSP game.
0: For sure, I would say PSP, 3ds, Game Boy games. Mm-hmm. Or it would be a different class from mobile. Just just touch controls versus tactile button controls. are uh, Two different beasts.
1: Yep, yep. And then yeah, people just people are just playing them different ways, different times because uh, yeah because like, i think yeah when people like the person who bought a psp or a, the 3ds they were gonna play on the go and like that's what they were gonna like focus on and then when cell phones came out people were gonna like play your game for like 10 30, ten seconds 30 seconds and then go back to their email or phone call and so games had to get like way faster way punchier like your audience wasn't gonna stick around for a half hour to finish the a level they were gonna yes. be in for 30 seconds and if they can't pause your game or get in and out they're probably not gonna keep playing So you gotta think about all that stuff and change how your game works. Uh just if you're going from, you know, console to mobile. The same game just won't work.
0: Yeah, it's it's a different it's a different world, man. It's a whole it's a lot of different skill sets. And I don't think enough people out there appreciate the breadth of skills and challenges and problems to solve when you talk about developing a game, right? Like
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. That's that's the hardest part of making a game is telling people who don't make them how difficult it is (laughs) and so yeah if you start talking to people who want to make games or you start getting other companies involved who want to like i want to hire you to make a game for me or i want to uh port some other game to mobile Mm -hmm. and explaining how difficult it is is always hard because you're like it's a whole process like even though the game's already done you're still making it from scratch if you're trying to port it or something like that um, yeah. people, never, people are always surprised at how much things cost in games and how long they take.
0: I've, I've never sat down and done a budget. Like, mm-hmm. I've never been in those conversations or if they kind of ask me, I'm
1: very bad with estimates, man. <laughs> I always relied on other people for that. I mean, yeah, that's, that's one of the things that definitely comes just with, like, getting it wrong enough times. Like, you, like get, enough, get it wrong enough times that you, you figure out where you go wrong and trying to estimate some stuff and then you finally get good at it.
0: When did you know that this was the world you wanted to get in? How did you end up in this?
1: In like games in general, you think mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. it was like, for me. It was pretty early. It was like high school. I started I started developing, making games in high school. I found what's called a mud, multi-user uh, domain, um, and that's when, like, games were just text-based. So, like, you log on, and then you'd read, you know, you're in an N, you know, press W to go west, press S to go south type yeah. thing.
0: Yeah, those text-based RPGs.
1: Exactly that, exactly that. And I found one, I was into Dragon Ball Z. And so I found yeah. one about Dragon Ball Z, Dragon Ball yes. Z World. And so I was just playing that, like, every day. And I played it enough that people would, lock, people would join the game, be like, hey, how do I do this? And so I had a macro for just, like, giving, like, tutorial stuff. Like, what? I press control one and be like, oh, hey, to, to change your clothes, do this, blah, blah, blah. Be like, oh, thanks. And after, after like a few weeks of doing that, the people who were running it uh, were like, hey, you're always here, you're really helpful. Do you wanna like join the team? And I was like, oh, I don't know what I'll do, but yeah, I'm in. And then I saw it. So that was my first time finding out like, oh, you know, games are made by people. Like someone has to go in and think of everything you're gonna do, describe it, get it made by an artist, prototype by, by a programmer. And you have to make every part of that, and so I started doing that. I used to, I used to like skip lunch to go to the library and work on this game uh, during lunch breaks. Um, and at that point, I was like, "Oh, I can like make games. I'm just gonna keep doing this." So that was my plan for that.
0: Is that is that because you had like your computer lab? You guys had a computer lab in the library, and the, yeah. so that was your access to the internet.
1: Exactly. Yeah, we had a computer lab in the library. Uh, we have like one PC uh, at home. Uh, so yeah, I would work on that at home. Uh, like my mom, she worked at computers. And so when she got home, she didn't really use our computer much for like business purposes. And so I was using it for gaming all the freaking time.
0: So you could say that it was in your blood. Oh, definitely. In the family genes.
1: Yeah, my mom, was a, she's a bit of a gamer.
0: Uh, she really? Does. She, what does she play? oh
1: man what does she play she has play she
0: played it? any of your games see that that's that's, that's no. the real question right there
1: <laughs> she'll she'll buy them but i don't think she's ever played any of them the closest she came was she she had a wii uh not a wii u she had a regular wii nobody had a wii u <laughs> yes yeah, exactly. it's very confusing <laughs> is it a wii is it a wii u or the same or different oh. mm. yeah so she bought my game boom blocks bash party on the on the wii u yes yeah she played that and then she was just like i don't get it (laughs) she's like i don't get one pun i'm going back to rock band
0: hey shout out to ea publishing Mm -hmm. one of the i think one of the the few handful handful of games that were published under steven spielberg right
1: yeah that was the coolest i got to meet Steven spielberg so that was a highlight of my career i feel like
0: yo that's got to be like top 10
1: Oh, definitely, definitely. I was just like, nice to meet you, Steven. I was like, oh my God, I call Steven Spielberg Steven.
0: (laughs) I'm on a first name basis with Steven Spielberg.
1: That's how it felt. That's how it felt. He had just came back from being on the set of uh, Transformers. So he had a Transformer hat on and a Transformers t-shirt on. So we get to bond over that like one second.
0: Oh, because I think he was like producer on it, probably. I think so. Yeah, yeah. Yo, i love that i love see there's something to be said for all the craziness and the madness of the games industry but it does rub you do rub elbows with a lot of entertainment and and they don't know how it goes on over here right like we kind of have some we think we have some understanding of how how it goes on in hollywood and movies and things like this but they definitely have no clue what goes into the game development
1: definitely not and and that's what was was cool about when I met Steven Spielberg I guess Roomblox was like his second game at that point so he definitely seemed to have an idea so he could like actually look at a level and he could give a nice little oh I like this part about it and it makes sense it wasn't just like oh pretty colors like no he understands what went into making the game kind of how hard it is how long it takes so it was just a quick little introduction we were like doing some levels for the game so he was like oh yeah I just want to come meet the guys who were doing the levels and he happened to be there the day we went to go visit EA and that was super cool oh I want to give a quick shout out to EA for doing one of the coolest things that's also happened to me in video games when I went out there the same trip to EA where I met to meet Spielberg uh, they have a little EA shop where you can buy uh, EA games for a like, cheaper
0: which studio was this?
1: it was in california i think
0: like socal norcal like redwood Shore. socal SoCal. Okay, socal okay so probably eala probably the main campus over there yep
1: yep, yep. that's right it was in l.a yep yep and yeah so we were there for like a week uh just to get you know the kind of like brain dump on like what, what the game is and like what everybody wants to be and that sort of thing we were contracted to do some levels for that and then before well, before I left, I was like, oh wait, hey, can I buy some Sims upgrade or Sims DLC from your guys' store? And they're like, oh yeah, absolutely. You know, you're a contractor, you work for us, you're the store open to you. And so right before we were getting ready to fly back, we go to the, the store and I'm like, hey, I want to buy all these games. And they're like, "They're like, oh, you need an employee ID number. And I'm like, I'm just a contractor. Like, oh, I'm sorry, you can't do it. And I was like, no, is, I was so excited about this. I had like 20 DLC packs I was going to buy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> At a super
1: discount. Yeah. And then, so then that didn't happen. So I got back to Austin, and one of the producers there emailed me. She's like, hey, I heard what happened. You know what, uh, I, I, I'm sorry I haven't you out. But let me know which, which packs you want, and I'll get them sent to you. And I was like, oh, thanks. You know, actually, I want these are for my mom, so we can just send them to her, and here's which packs they want. And then they're like, oh, your mom? Oh, that's so sweet. And they just sent her all the DLC packs they had. And I was like, that was super badass, you guys. And they, they, they didn't charge me just like, hey, thanks for helping us out. We're happy to help you out. So that was super
0: cool. Yo, I love that for so many reasons, Doug. One you would think that as a game developer, we have our full of games, but no, like there's a vicious cycle of we work on games so we can make money to throw it right back in and buy more <laughs> games, right? Yeah.
1: Yep. It makes it. I don't feel as bad now when I buy expensive like packs or whatever cuz I'm like, ah, I'm supporting the industry. So, yes, it's worth it
0: good man good man I, yo it's crazy bro because the sims community is strong and it is going it, it never ends it never it's ends and it's full of wonderful people like it's not it's not an average community and it's not like a, a hardcore i don't want to say toxic community you know mm-hmm. but it's it's definitely on on the on one of those showcases for like yo this is what a great Gaming community can be
1: kind of thing. It is like, yeah. Uh, I just, I just occasionally hopped in and out of like seeing what the Sims community is doing, and I know just recently that a big thing where they came with the melanin pack. Have you heard about the whole melanin pack issue? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Let's walk through it. Let's. walk Okay, through yeah. It.
1: So then there was a big. People were kind of a, uh, a little upset that some of the Sims uh, darker skinned tones didn't look really good in the game, and so one of the modders she made it her her whole deal to improve the skin tones in The Sims. She did a great job, everyone loved it. It became like a must-have pack. And I guess they eventually got back to you know, The Sims team about the issues with their skin color issues and all that. And so they were like, we're gonna fix it. We see what you've done to make it work. We wanna take that and put it in an actual, official, legit uh, upgrade or expansion, I guess. I'm not sure what you call it. But then that just recently came out. I think a couple months ago they, they uh, they released their kind of update and it had all those new skin tones in it and all that and so that's just super cool that you know that came out of the community and then you know developers were able to look at that and say we believe in this and we're going to support it and actually make it part of the game so that was super
0: shout out to x mida mida for that shout her out google her check out her twitch she's a she's a prominent member of the sims community we're lucky to have her and i've seen your, your avatar doug it looks <laughs> it looks uncannily like you
1: i mean yeah that's uh, that, that's that's all claire's work my, my girlfriend she got into the sims a couple of months ago really and yeah so she is very detail oriented with our sims
0: <laughs> <sighs> how much time does she take hours hours <laughs> yo so so there's something to be said have you ever worked on a, a character customization feature or system because i've never worked on one actually mm-hmm. you know I've, I've i've dabbled with it but i'm always keen to to learn or hear about people that mess with those because they're huge for some for some people that's like 50 percent of the game
1: oh yeah oh yeah like uh one game i worked on all points bulletin that was probably our best feature we had we had a, like a, a super in-depth customization feature you can customize your character customize your character's tattoos every mole in one person's body basically and then you can do the same with like your vehicle and so people got so deep in personalization uh that that was really the best part of the whole game and people spent hours and hours and there were whole communities around just the personalization features and so I love any game that lets you get into that in detail because you can really do your own story storytelling, want you to make your own characters like that in depth wise. And I'm always a fan of it when the game's take that take that personalization system really seriously. Was that
0: something that you were involved in? So that's that was real time worlds, right? Those were like the original mm-hmm. crackdown
1: developers. Yep, yep. Crackdown, and then the uh, the owner of Real Time Worlds, I think he was the guy that originally made the first, or they were the group that made the first GTA. Like the old school, top-down, 8-bit looking GTA. Yes, yes. It
0: definitely, it was, there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of talent in, what part of the UK was it?
1: That was uh, Scotland. Scotland. Was up in. Dundee, Dundee, Scotland. Dundee, Scotland. It's, it's, that's right. Uh, it's, it's the sunniest place in Scotland. <laughs> because it, it apparently gets the most sunny days in Scotland. I
0: always found that like London and the mm-hmm. Pacific Northwest and Seattle have similar
1: weather. Definitely do. Yeah. Definitely do. Great. That's why I feel like, yeah, I, feel like I haven't, haven't changed my, my weather situation too bad. Like they're very different than Austin, but they're not too different. And yeah, like Scotland, I and mean, even, Detroit, (laughs) that's where I'm from, Detroit.
0: I'd love to dive a little bit in on your background, right? Because a big part of this show that I want to put out there is for people to understand that there's no one cookie cutter mold of game developer, right? Like We come from everywhere, all shapes, sizes, colors, sexes, belief systems, and all that. So that's really what I want to feature. So yeah, please take some time and tell us where you're from.
1: Um, yeah from detroit originally grew up there um do, do, can, like, can
0: I, people say like the d when they say the d is it detroit or can, is it like
1: you could I, I mean people i don't know if people really call it detroit like we don't really do like d town that sort of thing too often uh but like if you're in, if you're in the midwest then yeah if you say the d d town then it's gonna be detroit but in the south that's gonna be dallas
0: so. ah okay fine line there be careful
1: <laughs> okay. Yeah, thing is my when I grew up in Detroit, it was, wasn't about Detroit, it was more about which block you grew up on. Like remember uh Eminem came with Six Mile, the movie? Yes, eight I, mile. I grew up on that was eight mile, yeah, that's right. I grew up on Six Mile. So oh. So it is uh it is really useful as a marker where you're where you're from in Detroit.
0: I've known you for over a decade and I didn't know you grew up on Six Mile.
1: There you go. Detroit. We're going to talk about
0: Eminem for 8 Mile often enough. Damn. And I, Eminem's one of my top. He's one of my top three. <laughs> so I got yo, that's, that's so, I, I love it. See, that's one of the big catalysts for me putting this show together, right? Half of it is to like expose the people behind the games that were not just machines, that we're not just kind of mm-hmm. what you see out there. Mm-hmm. And the other half really is selfishly for me to get to know my friends and people that I've worked with on a deeper level, right, and have an excuse to kind of ask you these probing questions, right, without it feeling too kind of like, yo, why are you grilling me, John? Why are you grilling me?
1: <laughs> no, I think that's awesome. I mean, like, we see people in video games, like, in the interviews and that about their games, but we don't always get to, like, get to know individual people behind the games. Like, a lot of times it's about studios or studio heads or what the studio has done previously, that sort of thing. Um, and I would love for games to have more times to feature Individual people. I mean, in movies, you know, movies will happily hype up the sound guy from this movie, mm-hmm. the uh, the producer of this movie, or something like that. And I thought like we don't see that enough in games. Like, if you like, if you knew who did the gunfighting in one game, and then like, oh, that guy moved over here you know, and did the gunfighting in that game, then it's like, oh, that's why they're both so so great. Yeah, <laughs> it was the same guy in a whole, whole different you know, situation. Well, cause I always think about. Um, Hamrick you know jo- yeah, Josh, Josh Hamrick. Hamrick
0: shout out to Josh yeah. Hamrick we uh, another fellow full sail alumni that we got to work together at Midway and is in Seattle
1: oh yep yep yeah. and I was thinking about Josh because like our first game Fifty One, he did a great job on getting those couple weapons he had feeling really good um and then he left to go work on Halo And the weapons there, of course, feel great. And and I think he left Halo to work on Fallout 3. And then Fallout 3, weapons feel great. And so I'm just like, Josh is that guy for me. Where I'm like, oh, what's he working on? Oh, cool. They're going to have a (laughs) great (laughs) weapon.
0: Yo, shout out to Josh Hamrick. I'm going to put him on my short list of people that I relentlessly hit up and invite to come participate.
1: Put him on the
0: list. Done. Done. Okay, so I, I, I love your background because you started this early in high school and you saw kind of the direct correlation. A lot of people don't make that connection. I wasn't. I certainly wasn't.
1: Mm-hmm. And so
0: you were doing it early from high school. So then did you continue that when it came time for college? Like, you said, oh, I know exactly what I want to do. I got to find the curriculum.
1: I tried that. but I think, I think, yeah, so when I went to college was 2002. That's when I graduated high school. And I was looking around for like a game development, game design type program. There weren't a lot of them yet There was probably ringling but they still were mostly art focused um that was the only really big name i knew about at the time mm-hmm. and so i ended up going to art school in san francisco at the academy of art because they had a program called uh new media and they listed like oh go into new media if you want to do things like art director and then one of them was like game developer and i was like that's what i want to do all right count me in yeah. And I, I got there, but it was mostly teaching about, it was a lot of this traditional art teaching. And I'm like, this is great, but I kinda wanna get in making games like right now. I don't wanna wait four years and pay so much money to do it. So I bailed on that and they ended up going to Full Sail. And Full Sail was just like, they, were, they had it perfectly done. They were like, we're gonna teach you the current tech on the current computers using all the current information that we have. And that was awesome. It was fast, it was efficient. It was expensive, though, <laughs> but it was, a, it was a great school and definitely helped me get my foot in the door. Uh, so that was super cool.
0: Yes. Yeah, I mean, I'm, shout out fellow Full Sail alumni. We both kind of graduated in 06. Do you feel that your investment paid off? Like the return on investment, was it worth it?
1: That's tough to say. I think like it looks like today, I would say no. Because today, you can learn so much for free on YouTube and a couple, a couple hundred bucks you can get like a master class type website to like learn from an expert uh, so I would not tell people to go pay 50,000 plus dollars on college to go into development if you don't have
0: to you're not even factoring inflation that was K oh, yeah. back then
1: <laughs> that was fifty back then yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah that, that's interesting I, I, that's, a, that's a point I make to a, a, a question to ask everyone because everyone's mm-hmm. mileage varies. Yeah, it had, it, had,
1: it had its benefits. I mean, I got to like connect people like you. Like we, we didn't we didn't meet in school, but right after school we both kind of got a job at the same place through the same similar school context. and so that helped us both end up in the same position with we a really great job with we a lot of great people. And then um, I and I got that job I think mainly because one of my coworkers got hired before me and he talked me up. And that's what got me into Midway, like uh, Rusty uh, Simstrut. Shout out to Rusty Simstrut. Yeah.
0: He's going to come on this show. I'm going to make sure he comes on this show.
1: Oh, yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, so he got in, and he was like, oh, there's a guy who worked with Doug. He was great. And then I'm like, oh, we met Doug. Let's bring him back for another job. And so we got that one.
0: So, so were you guys in the same class,
1: or were you guys were on the
0: same projects?
1: Yeah, we were in the same class, and we did the same final, same final project team. Um, and then we interviewed for like that same job. I think it was a it was a it was a programmer job at the time, and he was a better programmer than I was. And then they brought me back for a design job, and uh, so I got the got the design job. So, I to work together again.
0: So that's interesting. Did did you see yourself as more a game designer or a programmer when you were kind of looking to break in and looking for work after college?
1: yeah i think i saw myself originally more as a programmer um just because that was the one that kind of made the most sense like, like you knew what the job was you knew what you're kind of going to ask to do but a game designer was and still is a little nebulous and you're never really sure what that exactly means like what am i designing am i doing levels am i doing uh <clears throat> systems uh other kind of content, you're never sure what you're going to be doing with game designer. Because why nowadays, in my, in, in my stuff, I would say game developer. Because you, know, you can do a little bit of everything. And some, some of it's a little programmery, Some of it's a little art heavy. Um, some bits it's more just ma- producery or management. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's all, it's all in the effort of designing the game. And so I kind of roll it all together nowadays.
0: I'm, I, I sympathize with you 100%, Doug. Like, game design definitely does tend to wear a lot of hats or or gives you the opportunity to wear the hats that you want really right yes. it's usually like hey the game needs to get done how do you want to contribute to it right if you have the mm-hmm. soft skills you may tend to be more producer facing in your design habits from day to day right or You may be more technically inclined, right? So then you are more kind of in the systems, in the tech design, maybe even gameplay, scripting, and coding, things like this, or you're more art inclined, right? So then you kind of have more of a level design approach or um, asset pipeline work. I love it, man. I love it because I'm I'm right there with you. That (laughs) when you go in as a programmer, you kind of know what you're going to be doing. Right, even though there's a lot of avenues to, to run with, and when you go as game design, nebulous is the perfect word, man.
1: Yeah, 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 every, like every week, it, it changes a little bit. Like uh, even when you get some new tools in, okay, I, I gotta be the one who has to learn it first and find out how best to use it, and then just to submit that knowledge to everybody else, and you know, and just hope that I was I was mostly right about what I think is the best way to use it. Uh, but yeah, it's a little bit of everything. It's a little bit of-
0: I like that. I like that. So whenever I talk, speak about you, Doug, i am gonna be like, yo, Doug Burton, the good homie slash game developer. I don't say game design. I don't say game programmer. I don't say game artist. I'll take
1: it. I like it. Game like developer.
0: That. Cause you do it that. all.
1: <laughs> I try. And, 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 thing is too, like that was one of the things when I got into games and went to full sale, I wanted to go somewhere that I thought would teach me enough that if theoretically I was locked in a a room by myself with infinite resources, I could make a great game. I would know enough on everything to like, pull pull the audio together, pull the art together, pull the programming together, and still be able to make a great game with just what I know. So that's why I kind of like to be able to do a little bit of everything too.
0: You're good with that, man, you're good with that. I, I, I talk, I speak with people often and I share the same sentiment that you have like yo mm-hmm. today's day and age i don't know why people go to college right like you can teach yourself anything it's like the matrix right you just plug yourself yeah. in and you can get all the skills right away and and the one thing that kind of made me turn and and change kind of my view a little bit right kind of mm-hmm. give, them, give them a little bit was the network right like you mm-hmm. pay yeah, for the people that are around you working in and solving the problems and building that rapport um uh, mm-hmm. and so when they hit me with that one i'd be like i right, you know that that may have tipped the scales to make it worth it like the fact that i got to know you danny Barassa, rusty josh like a bunch of people and even rob Koble. shout out to rob yep. coble uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> that i was like all right all right, all right you got me like I couldn't, I couldn't sit at home and have connected with all of you guys.
1: And, he, and like you said, like, all those names you just mentioned, we all probably got just that, that first step in thanks to Rob Coble, which is like a, he was um, – was he exactly at Full Sail? He was, <laughs> I always butcher his job role, right? I'd be like, I career saying, advisor,
0: yeah. career development <laughs> – yeah,
1: I, I, yeah, he was
0: that. Yeah, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna definitely invite him on the show, and I def- I probably want to even do like panel style where we just be like all sit there and be like, "All right, Rob, we're gonna interview you, man. We're gonna hit you with like all the questions we've ever had." Uh,
1: that would be funny. I would love to he- hear about yeah how things were from his side of things, mm-hmm. and then I'm most I'm interested to in, yeah how many other full cell developers out there you know kind of have him to thank for. Setting up that first meeting, yes. with, uh, their,
0: their first job. Yes. So we we jumped around a bit, Doug, and I love it. I love the free flowing form of just chatting with my buddies and getting to know and getting to share your story with the public. When you broke in at Midway, and you so you broke in as a game designer. What would you say were those kind of essential skills that you were like, yo? I'm so grateful that I have these. And then what were the ones that you didn't know you needed to know, but you picked up kind of thing, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I think so. Games are, you definitely want to be able to, like, put yourself in other people's shoes. So you kind of want to look at a level. And i not, not always say what, not just what do I think would be cool, but, like, what would be cool as someone who has no idea what I'm trying to get them to do. And so, that's why I really love making puzzles, because for me that's, that's what most game development is. It's like puzzle solving. And then and then, setting, and then setting up a puzzle so that someone behind you can have a good time solving it. So I always love, you know, you're making a room and you know, you know the goal, but then you need to make the goal interesting to find, then interesting to figure out, and interesting to get to. So for me, I've always been a fan of puzzles. So that came kind of naturally for me. being like, okay, I need to just kind of make a little puzzle that's going fun for someone else to solve. And then after that, once you get into games, you realize how much communication is needed to get anything done, how to get anything really, get anything done you know, in a high quality and like very fast. So you're going to need to talk to artists, you're going to need to talk to um, programmers, you're going to talk to audio people. And then you're going to need to be the one that they all come to to connect it all together. So I go to the programmer and say, hey, I need the A button to jump. And then I then I go to the animator and say, OK, I need a jump animation. And then I go to Audio Guy, OK, I need the audio for this to play at a certain time in the animation. So then the programmer says, OK, here's your hook in to do the jump. OK, now I, I need to make that jump call the right animation. I make, make the animation call the right sound. And I need to make all those connect together. Because the audio people don't want to learn the animation tools. Animation doesn't want to learn the programming nodes to call the jump animation. Mm-hmm. So I kind of have to be the middle, man, the middle man that has to know a little bit of each piece to make it all come together. And so you have to really know enough to be able to talk to those different people about use, use like their kind of keywords and then be able to know enough technically to hook it all up. And so I think for me, that was the surprising part about how much talking there is, how much back and forth, and how much meetings, and that sort of thing. But once you get that sort of thing and it kind of becomes second nature, then you just have like a few templates of like, okay, here's how we're gonna start this, here's how we're gonna finish it off. And you can kind of like rely on those to help make sure you're getting stuff done efficiently
0: one billion percent i love that you called that out because i find that soft skills and and communication they don't get taught enough you know it kind of ends up on it kind of ends up something that you kind of evolve into or grow as you are fortunate enough to work in in a game studio with awesome people that are super passionate about every little facet or detail of their own discipline or expertise yeah I will have to call out that there's a certain there's a certain breed of individual that you fall under <laughs> and this it, and it's just you're super approachable right like I, I can say that because I've worked with you that you're extremely approachable and and it's easy to come over to you and ask you for help for your opinion for your insight for debugging Right. And, and I, I've i always welcomed whenever I had the opportunity, when you come over and want to find out, yo how does this work? Or, <laughs> you know, hey, well, I got to figure, you know, hey, come check this out. Right. Like, it's just like, mm-hmm. oh, sweet. Hell yeah. And, you know, everybody's mileage varies. But for a game designer, I do believe and I, I'm biased. I do believe that we are kind of the glue. Right. Like, yeah, there, there's some there's a responsibility on the shoulders of a designer to convey the vision that comes from the creative director the design director or, or what have you right or the narrative or the writers right to share that vision and convey it whether it be verbal whether it be through documentation whether it be through a prototype or a system or something like that
1: well like here uh, so where i'm at right now Polyarch, we kind of i think we kind of describe that as you know someone has to be the person to champion an idea. So like, i be the one to be like, okay, uh, I'm working on this really cool boss fight. And so I got to be the one to be like, okay, here's the story of the boss fight. Here's how it should feel. Here's how it should sound. And then I have to be the one that people can come to to be like, is this sounding the way we want it to? I can be like, oh, you know, it's not, we kind of want to go more this direction or more that direction. And then you can just rely on the person making it to like interpret that to still make something super cool. You're like, oh, I want to be a little scary or I want to be a little more whimsical. And then they take that. And like, OK, I see what you're saying. And they can make that. And then you can put it all together. But then someone has to be the person who's kind of there just always playing it, making sure, OK, it is it still fun? Uh, are we hitting our goals? And is everything kind of coming together the way we expect? And when people are making content, they don't always have time to be playing the game and really analyzing the game and then also playtesting it and getting other people's opinions on it. And so that's a big part of design too, is being the person who is shepherding the, the, each idea and making sure it's being completed, it's not buggy, it's actually fun. So yeah, there's just a lot. Like I said, a lot of stuff that goes in design. And a lot of stuff that goes in development, game development in general, which is just like those soft skills.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm i love that i love that yeah so shout out to polyarc uh, i'm glad that they got you to come out to seattle me too and so polyarc's interesting right because as i understand it you guys are like solely vr development and and vr for all intents and purposes i mean right now with 2021 we're But it's I consider it still cutting edge, right? Like there's nothing else like it. AR, VR are kind of their own bag and require kind of a whole new set of thinking and approaches. And I'm curious, you know, from from your background, right, you've kind of seen and done it all. You've worked on all the different consoles, mobile, Xbox, PlayStation, PC. And so what drew you to VR? What how's that going?
1: Yes, yeah, so like, I was I was getting into VR early on, like, you know, as soon as Oculus got picked up by Facebook, and that all made it look like it was okay, this is like really happening now, like, there's actual money behind it, and there's actually a lot of buzz around it, so at that point, I was like, okay, it's happening, VR is going to start becoming a real platform, and so then, it was, then the quick question was, okay, well, what do we want to make in VR, like, you know, you don't want to just make the same old games, and now you're just seeing them in the headset and playing them like normal. Like, you know, VR gives the opportunity to like act, to really put you in the game. Not even not put you in the game. Somebody just puts you in a different world. Or even the current world, which is all kind of different rules. And now you can do that. And you don't have to rely so much on the visuals and audios to carry that. Because just, just just the hardware helps you carry that. So with console and with mobile gaming, you, are, you still have that huge barrier of the person playing is on the couch. Or they're on their cell phone listening through little little uh, earbuds mm-hmm. or or they're playing on a controller that just has to, has to remap what they want to do onto a button so it's like oh i want to jump over this wall i just press the button but then once you have vr you want to jump over that wall or look over that wall then you actually look over the wall so it's not just no, no longer you playing the game it's just you in the environment and things are happening and so when you think about that way you can do a lot more cool stuff in vr so you can make a horror game that is scary like all by itself what's this new game that came out uh phantasmophobia Mm. Uh, i played that in vr i couldn't get past the tutorial (laughs) because the tutorial was like go into this dark garage turn off the lights and, and call to the ghost. And I was like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> it's super cool. It's super fun. And it's so easily, easily like scary. And, and, and you're just, you're just in the game so much easier. And then just, so with that, you, you kind of-
0: I'm with you though. Like a lot of people that I speak to VR development about it's almost unfair to go into the horror genre, right? Like mm-hmm. there's so mm-hmm. much you can do. And in a movie experience, for example it's easy for you to like close your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But in VR, you got that thing in your face. <laughs> yep.
1: You, <can't laughs> you know? know
0: and it's you expensive, and you can't just like rip it off and chuck it, right? Like, you're like, ah, you know, it's, it's just not, it's just not muscle, it's just not instinctual, right? So you're, that thing, you're still facing that thing, and it's it's almost unfair. Yeah. So th- that's definitely a design thing that I consider cheating, but I see so much promise there for sure.
1: Exactly that. Like, you, you just get to, you get you get the players buy in so much easier, so you can do a lot more cool stuff. I feel like, and put them in a lot more cool places, and it's just yeah, just a whole new way of making games. I feel like everything that used to work it doesn't work the same anymore. Like a lot of older games, you know, you want explosions to be like big and super realistic, and things are flying at the plate at the player, and there's explosions, and there's fire, and there's debris everywhere. If you do that now in VR, that's super tiring mm-hmm. and stressful. And if things are flying at your face, you're like, oh god, that feels horrible. I don't want any of that to happen. And so now you've like changed the way you make games because games that were exciting are now overstimulating, I guess, in a way. And tiring too. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's, that's interesting. I wanted to touch on that a bit, right? You, your background, your extensive resume and experience, right? You worked at midway on Black Siders 51, Virgil on Darksiders 2 red fly apb at real time world a lot of action oriented combat you know high intensity games i empathize 100 percent those are the type of games i love to play so i love to develop them but it seems like you've migrated or evolved in a different direction now in the types of games you're developing
1: yeah yeah definitely i mean i definitely yeah did a lot of action games yeah because i think i think i did apb and i was like cops versus robbers and i really liked the personalization that was on that game and so i like the Cosmos robbers things because a lot of players can put their own story behind it uh and so it was super actiony it was really more about the story of like your cop character or your criminal character and it was big on personalization so i love that and then after doing darksiders and you know you do the apocalypse and you're playing as death and you know you got all these bladed weapons that was super cool but at that point i was like, okay i think i've had my fill of this whole death, despair, kill, kill, kill type games. Um, I kind of want to do some more stuff that's, like, joyous and fun mm-hmm. and interesting. And things are going to, like, sit with you after you're done with the game.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Playing play a couple games, like, one that out to me was uh, The Stanley Parable. Oh, and that was yeah. super meta. Like, yeah, you're like, it's like a game that you knows it's, it's a game, and you can play how you want, and it'll kind of comment about how you're playing it, and like talk back to you. So it, was a, it was a conversation almost between you and the game. So that was super cool, and that was like the next idea of like, that this is what games can be. Like, they don't have to just be exciting and fun; they can be really cool story experiences, or things that really stick with you. I think we're hearing a lot more games, like a lot more games like that, kind of get bubbled up. And stand out to people. You have games like uh, The Last of Us and all the Naughty Dog games. People love those for the action. But we always come back to like how great the story are and the characters are. And that sort of thing. So I think that type of gaming is becoming more and more popular. And people are praising it more. Mm-hmm. So I kind of move towards that. I'm like, yeah, I really want to do more games that people play. And they're like, man, was that a game? Or was that just like a really enjoyable story experience? so we am trying to move toward in that direction
0: amen brother amen like you gotta evolve with the times and the trends and i love that you're staying at the forefront of that you see kind of the patterns of what people are gravitating towards and to be fair the industry is maturing
1: yeah definitely it definitely is i mean that, that was a big thing too why came like to polyart because they had all also been through making a lot of like actiony games a lot of them uh worked on uh bungees a lot of them came from you know um doing what was a destiny it was like a lot of their last big action game and so they were also very excited about making kind of more joyous games and and games that had a wider audience and that weren't tiring and just were really enjoyable to make and they were also really smart about saying hey you know vr is kind of in its infancy so we can start this early making some really quality story games that are available for anybody to play, any age, any skill level. And we do that this early, then, you know, we, as people adopt VR, then they're also gonna be like, hey, let's get that really great VR game that at this point, a lot of people have like vetted and said, yeah, this is a great intro to VR. And so Polyarch has been really smart, but been like, hey, VR is coming. So we can just kind of position ourselves to really take advantage of it. And so we've been kind of try to do that the last couple of years.
0: Love it, man! I love it, and you get to put your your talent of puzzle design to work,
1: right? Love making puzzles. Love making puzzles. Love watching people solve puzzles. Every time you see someone half of their puzzle, and they're like, "What?" and then you see them figure it out, and it clicks, and they get that like, "Oh!" oh. Love that feeling every time. All
0: right, I'm gonna ask you a favor. As as somebody who has no clue or understanding of how to approach designing puzzles let us in a little bit on kind of your motivations your inspirations or your approach mm-hmm. don't, you know you don't uh, got to give us all the, the Doug Burton tool bag I, 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 you know I, 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 but well,
1: it's a little the bit thing is, uh, the first part of the tool bag is okay first I would say it's they're probably the hardest of the like level types to make puzzles because you know they gotta be pretty gotta be interesting like most levels a little bit challenging but they also really gotta have that uh, what we kind of call the aha moment. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's got like to be that like that
0: mystery that when it clicks. Yep,
1: yep, that like that that moment of like oh it's been right in front of my face this whole time type thing. Almost like like a good riddle. Like once you once you solve it, you're like oh of course that's the only way it could have ever been. Why did it take this long? But the biggest thing for me with like level design in general is I just get ideas from. You get ideas from everywhere. Every every little thing you're doing, you know whatever cool design you see. Like, oh, you see a cool, you, you eat a strawberry that day. And, and the shape of the strawberry makes you think about a level idea. You're like, oh, I can make a level that's like strawberry shaped. And then instead of seeds, that's where there's little holes that air is out of. And you have to like time the way you move to like get around those holes, or whatever. Something's like super weird, generic like that. Mm-hmm. And you just get it down on paper or in some kind of prototype state and you just start feeling it out. Okay, what about this idea is actually interesting and I wanna like keep. And you just keep piece by piece. And then you say, okay, this little section works. Let me like figure out what works for the other, another part of the level. And you kind of just do it section by section. So you kind of get that kind of beginning feeling good, get the middle feeling good, and then make sure that it has that aha and that hook moment of like, oh, that's the piece that I'm missing to make this all work. And yeah, there's no real, like one, two, three, like step process. Mm. It's really just get into it, and you start just feeling it out, and then usually the puzzles kind of make themselves once you have the goal, have the uh, obstacles. Uh-huh then you just kind of see how can i move these things around to make it interesting to get around the episodes into to the goal
0: okay okay i dig it i dig it i love i love because you know I, I got i got design homies on the whole spectrum and you mm-hmm. you strike me as a, a, a feel a feel it out type i
1: absolutely am i absolutely am like, i'm I that sw- person Like i just start making like, like a lot of people do the paper design mm-hmm. Or even do like Legos to like picture it 3D. Yeah, and and I'll I'll, I'll just close my eyes, feel it out, f- picture what I'm what I would kind of want to visualize do, it, and then visualize it. Yeah, and I just open the editor and just start putting in blocks and playing through the game. I'm, I'm like I'm like in the game immediately.
0: Awesome, awesome. So so there's an there's an element there of like knowing the blocks that you're working with knowing what you have what the player knows that you have to kind of teach them or work with and there's a there's the the base setup there's the end goal and there's the middle hook right so i'm curious if i if i can if i can dig in a little bit deeper on the hook how do you identify the hook
1: oh that's i'm trying to think about a couple puzzles I've done and and the hook is really tough too because yeah, that'd be
0: great if you <laughs> if you cite an example from a game you've worked on
1: yeah I'm trying, I'm trying to get the last puzzle I, I just make I made one recently that I like the hook but people who did it the first time were like oh yeah that feels good but people who did a second time are like nah I don't think it I don't think it works mm-hmm. and I can't and I can't decide if the puzzle is like too difficult or too easy because once people figure it out they think some people think that it's not it doesn't work
0: it takes iteration what's very interesting what you just said there was like it's dope the first run through
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and
0: then on the second run through it kind of it kind of has a different vibe and a different it. feeling
1: yeah because well, well, like a puzzle it's like a riddle once someone knows the answer they're no longer solving it they just know it and so you only get one chance to find out if it works or not like you're like, okay, here's the puzzle. I can't tell you how it works as soon as you know, that's it, you're gonna know how it works. Yeah. So I need, I, need, I need to watch you solve it and to see if at the right points you make the right kind of realizations. So usually with the puzzle, they enter the room and you make the goal clear and you make it clear what they can manipulate. And so they say, okay, that's what I'm trying to get to. Uh, I can turn this thing and I can press this button. So and then, then some people oh, work, Those are work the some,
0: elements, right? Like, hey, you're gonna yeah. work with these two or three uh, commands or buttons or elements. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yep, yeah, yeah
1: yeah So you got your goal, you got your elements. Uh, so some people work through different directions. Some people start at their character and figure, okay, how can I get my character just further into the level? Some people actually look at the goal and say, how can I get from that goal kind of back to my character? You know, it's like a maze. Do I start at the start. We start at the end point, working way back. You know, people come at it in either, either direction. But then what you want is to, is to watch them piece together. So to they make sure they figure out what pieces they can manipulate. Make sure that's obvious and clear and they figure that out. And then you wanna breadcrumb a couple steps of it. So maybe when they come into the room, the button that they can press sort of like blinks or it unpresses to like show that, oh, it's movable. So now first thing I do, they're gonna go to the button and press it. Okay, what does this do? Oh, okay, it moves this wall piece okay, how can I use that wall piece? Because now it's a new element I know I have. So now they have learned something new about the puzzle and they already feel like they're, they're making progress.
0: And which which feels so good. Yeah, so, this, so
1: eventually people figure out, okay, I have all the pieces. Now how do I use these pieces? Okay, so I press this button, a wall comes out. If I get off the button, that wall goes away. I need that wall to get somewhere else. So now the question is, how can I keep this button pressed to get to that wall? So then... So then they, they so then they're, they're stepping through okay what can press this button oh this thing i can, I can pull or drag. Mm-hmm. okay so I put the thing on the button now i can get to the wall i'm on the wall what do i do with this <laughs> and then then they're on the wall and then they, and they go that. so that's kind of the next stage of the puzzle so stage one is kind of like figuring out all the elements mm-hmm. stage two is figuring out okay when i use the elements what new thing changes and then how do i use that new thing that has changed and does that get me closer to my goal? And so it's just that three things over and over and over. The elements, how do I use them? What has it gotten me? Okay, what are my new elements? How do I use those? How, how much closer does that get me? Yeah, yes,
0: yes, that makes sense to me now. It makes sense to me now. It's like, give them a chance to, fig, to explore and play to figure out, oh, these are my elements that I can play with. And then see how they can apply those elements in different interesting combinations, right? For the agency. And I think that's the hook that you were referring to, is to be Mm -hmm. like, oh, I know that when I attach this on the wall, then it kind of makes a bridge or whatever, and then I can spin it a little bit, right? And so that's the hook, ooh, 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 I wanna, ooh, and I can see where else I can apply that. Let me see if it works, right? And then you kind of throw that other twist at them.
1: Next level was the word you just used there. You said, oh, a twist. So the next level of a puzzle is you put a little twist on it where as soon they think they figured it out and their brain kind of goes into execution mode, and it's just like, okay, the poor aha. So they go into like, okay, oh, I got to figure it out. Let me just do the puzzle. Jump here, go here, do this, get here. And then they get to a certain point where they realize that they made some kind of assumption that was wrong. And they're like, oh, that's me, that's I me. Thought. There you go, <laughs> yeah. Like, the, they're like, oh, I thought that I could make this. Oh, I need that button to get unpressed at this point. Now they're like, oh, that's so. That's the that, that's the aha moment of like, oh, I haven't solved. Let me do it. Wait a minute, I missed something. Oh. oh. And then they then they then, then they have that last piece of like, you know all the elements, you know how to build them all, you know where they all get you, but there's one more piece you're missing of, you need to somehow maybe either undo mm-hmm. or do an extra step to get to the final
0: and that's that's kind of that last stage of the puzzle right it's like yep, okay yep. you've got it all figured out let's throw a little twist in there yep
1: uh, you understand it but have you mastered it mm-hmm. you, know, you know all the ins and outs and then one last twist to be like once you know all the pieces uh did you check this though like one little yeah
0: and then but, but then that cements it i i i feel you because then then as you progress the player or you pace them through it, those mm-hmm. same elements that you force them to master before progressing, then kind of keep building on them right as the game progresses, keep challenging them. I said that, the ebbs and flows.
1: Yep, yep. You do the same puzzle, but then you'll change the twist on it. And they're like, oh, you got me. And you think, too. you also want that moment to feel fun. It should never feel frustrating yeah. or like you lied to them. It should just be like, you figured it out. You just figured it out slightly wrong way. Or you, or you just got presumptuous in your solution. You kind of want that moment.
0: Yeah, you want the rules that they just kind of figured out that you walked them through to yeah. persist and to be consistent for sure. Yep. Yep, yep. I love that. I love that. Doug, man, it's it's been real cool. I think last thing I want to touch on is... You know, you've been at a lot. You've worked at a lot of different studios with a lot of different people. You have a vast network that you've built up that have all had their their version of Doug O'Mite embedded wow. in their memory. Um, I'm curious. You know, compared to where you started, where you are now, what 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 have you seen in terms of like culture, building a good team? Uh, like you said, back to the point of like having a team that can challenge each other, iterate, yeah, yeah. call out the things that like, hey, this feels good on the first try, not so good on the second try. How do we make it better?
1: Yeah, that's that's a tough one. I, I feel like I've <clears throat> I've been at like two studios that like I really was like, man, that was a really great like culture. Like everyone was it was the communication was really open. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's a big one. I think people need to be. Uh, Happy and willing to talk to each other about things they do and don't like about the game.
0: Midway had a fantastic culture, man. Like I think we were spoiled for that to be Mm -hmm. our first break in the industry. Like
1: we had a diverse
0: team, all a mix of like motivated, hungry, passionate junior talent with like savvy, super intelligent and experienced veterans, and we were just all kind of like fueling each other. It was
1: it was a wonderful time. It was a great group. I think that, that, that's a big thing. It's like, yeah, it, I think with Midway, a lot of us were a little bit younger. And so we were more open to like talking about all of our ideas. it was like, does, does this work? Does this not work? Uh, people weren't really afraid to like say they didn't like anything because it was really more like, I'm no, I'm no expert, but I didn't like that. And it's like, so people can take it, not like a, a order or anything, it's more just like layman's feedback, I feel like, like, yeah, yeah, feedback. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a big thing of like yeah, being able to give feedback openly and honestly and no one feels attacked no one feels like they're big they're doing the attacking uh and that i don't know how you really build that like that is just there are certain personalities types and and certain soft skills that you want to look for in fact yeah, I'll, i'll link you uh one of our audio audio leads just did like a blog post or interview about our interview process, okay, and about how you know we, we definitely try to do a good job of looking not just at someone's technical skills, like can they do the job, but really like can they grow in the job, mm. can they work with the team well, and yeah, she she flagged like a couple like things to look for, and it was like yeah, people who are people who can give feedback and take feedback, yeah. and, and who and who are like eager to like uh, collaborate on ideas and that sort of thing I think so I think yeah any I feel like I I hope that good games come from happy teams (laughs) because I'm trying to steal that whole milk thing like when good milk comes from happy cows I (laughs) remember
0: that campaign happy cow milk is polyarc hiring is there anything you can talk about with what you're working on yeah
1: so polyarc we are hiring right now we're hiring some um, new we need some more. We need a QA team, really, and we're also hiring some audio. I don't know the term is audio creators, uh, and, um, and that's that's why that hiring thing came to mind because yeah, one of our audio team had just mentioned done a whole interview about how to hire and how uh, equitability in hiring and how to reduce bias in hiring, and so we do all sorts of. We use all sorts of tools to make sure we're reducing bias as much as we can. We want to make sure we're getting a diverse um, pool of applicants. And we want to to remove, you can't remove all bias. That's one of the things you you know and you accept. So you do all things you can to reduce the biases.
0: Well, I mean, you touch on a good point there, right? Is We all have our own individual biases and definitely our unconscious bias, right? That at least all the interviews I've ever been on happen you're dealing a full day across a wave of different people and so I think that helps the process right like you guys are all there at different times different points in the day and you're you're seeing different sides of the person so you get Mm -hmm. multiple people weighing in
1: Mm -hmm. yeah that's a big thing you want multiple multiple people weighing in from all different uh, all different parts of development and different experience levels so that way you can get, so sometimes you might have someone who interviews great when they're talking with a higher up and they might interview poorly, talk to someone they think is like below them and you kind of get a little bit of that personality in there. And that can come, that can be troublesome on teams where you need everyone to kind of be able to equally give ideas and no one feels pressured or intimidated or anything like that. Um, so the sort of things you just look out for and also um, you want to sort of make sure that interviewers don't taint each other. So you don't want someone to go on, you don't want someone to be the first interviewer and then on their way out, they comment to the second interviewer is like, eh, he wasn't great or something like that. Uh, that's gonna taint them. Because we've had interviews where people come in and they haven't done strong in the beginning of the day. But then once they've kind of calmed down or they had their coffee or had their lunch, then they're just like nailing questions and everyone's like, oh, they're perfect. Meanwhile, people at the beginning of the day were like, uh, I think they were great. And you never know what the reason could be. It could be, it could have been a bad day, it could have been a bad internet connection, they uh, had not had their coffee yet, sort of thing. And so you wanna make sure that one like bad interview won't tank someone's entire interview process. And there's a lot of things you can do to prevent that.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Even, even now in the age of virtual Zoom interviews where you're behind a webcam and mm-hmm. maybe, Maybe your best traits either are uh, magnet like uh, magnified or not. You know mm-hmm. that's something mm-hmm. to be accountable uh, to be mindful of, right? Yep. So I yep. really appreciate those words of wisdom there. How do uh, people reach out to you or connect with you or follow you and see see what you're up to, man?
1: I will say that um, Twitter is probably the best best place. I got Douglemite Dev on Twitter. That's where you can find me. Occasionally talking about talking about dev stuff. Um, besides that, yeah, you can follow just the Polyarch uh, Twitter account. That's kind of where we try and keep up to date about what we're doing, what we're thinking, what we're talking about.
0: Okay, fantastic. I'll make sure to link your Twitter, DougalMite Dev, and Polyarch's Twitter in the show notes. Click on those. Follow, see what these guys are up to, doing amazing things. Before you go, mm-hmm. I'd like to ask you if there's anybody, a friend or colleague that you'd like to nominate to come on to the podcast.
1: Yeah, I'm going to nominate uh, one of our artists. Her name's Corinne. She's a super awesome artist. Uh, always fun to talk to. I love hearing her. And she, she, I love hearing her feedback uh, on anything I worked on because she's like so nice but she's also so correct like she'll be like she'll be like uh, um, <laughs> so I think right. that, yeah i don't want to say but i think this level is totally not working and i'm like she's right but she said it so nicely
0: <laughs> just tell it to you like that okay fair fair okay uh some 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 last lightning round questions for you is there someone you would credit as having been like a a good mentor for you throughout this career or somebody that has inspired you in this industry to keep doing what you're doing even or outside the industry
1: i mean oh that's that's a huge list i can't pick just one person like john are you definitely on the list no man you, yes yes i'm saying it you, you you've been doing awesome stuff uh everywhere like what you do with red dead right gta uh, you were uh, working at you were at Amazon doing um, some awesome like tutorials and that kind of stuff. And so I was like, man, John's out here killing the game.
0: Yo, you, yo, you already on the show, Doug. You don't you don't gotta butter me but up, I, man.
1: I have a start there. Okay, now next on the list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Blushing. Uh, one of our early uh, one of our early leads, Harvey Smith. Harvey he, Smith. Uh, every time I talk to him, he always drops. He's that guy who every time I talk to him, he'll drop like one little nugget of knowledge on you. And you're like, dang, that was that was a great point. <laughs> yes.
0: yes, I, I can like, I can corroborate that 100%. Yeah.
1: When we first worked at Midway, he used to say you can teach anybody the tools sort of thing. And so he was like, yeah, find who you'd like to work with because you can teach anybody how to work the tools. So it's more about the person. And so I think I'm, I've carried that through everywhere I've gone
0: yo i I, i'm gonna end on that one because that one's powerful and strong for a lot of people that are listening to this that are all about like yo what do i need to learn read do i want to break into games i'm like the best programmer or i've played everything and i've written all the walkthroughs look at my sweet demo reel you know why am i not getting hired right and so yeah to, to to emphasize what you just said there the person you are right like uh, your nature your temper when things get rough as they will do when we're working mm-hmm. on a game for years uh mm-hmm. is, is is about yo can we ride together through the thick and thin to get this thing cool. out there
1: absolutely there's gonna be a lot of conversations a lot of tough conversations a lot of disagreements and hopefully many more agreements mm-hmm. but in between all that you know people you gotta talk to for you know eight hours a day your life so definitely make sure it's people that you feel you can talk to you and you can you can enjoy working with and creating ideas with so i think that's always a huge part of a you know, in general
0: hell yeah i mean it's it's a clear sign of why you've stuck through it so long my friend for sure i think so,
1: I think so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> absolutely yo doug it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show you too. I hope to to bring you back in the future when you got anything else you want to share with the world. The, the next person to fall out of the play area, uh, Corinne Artist at Polyarc. I'm going to hit her up.
1: I'm excited. I'm excited.
0: Take care, brother. Thank you. Shout out to Doug for walking us through his journey in this wild industry to where he currently resides at PolyArch in Seattle as game designer on their VR projects and his conscious evolution as an intuitive creator working on action titles and then moving on to the comfort of tightly designed casino games on mobile and ultimately seeking to make a more resounding and memorable narrative and immersive experience. On the next Out of Play Area episode, we'll sit down with the creative force known only as Mr. Benja. And we'll talk about how he discovered games, getting his graduate degree at Michigan State University, and breaking into the games industry, ultimately working alongside one of the OGs, Howard Scott Warshaw at the 3DO company. Out of Play Area releases new episodes every 1st and 15th of the month. And we're available on all the major podcast platforms, including Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, Audible. I'm pretty sure you can even ask Alexa to play us. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, John Diaz. Please make sure to subscribe and follow so you can see what developer pushes out of Play Area next time. Until then, stay safe, stay true, stay creating.